Hello and welcome to the podcast, Where Did the Rabbit Go? In this weekly podcast, we celebrate curiosity, critical thinking, and evidence-based skepticism. I'm your host, Marco, and this is show 60 for Thursday, March 18th, 2021. How are you doing today? Are you fine? I hope you are. And uh, that would be great. But if you're not doing fine, you should know that that's also okay. We all have our ups and downs and we're living through a very difficult situation. These past days were really tough for me, to be honest. I have been very busy and honestly sometimes been feeling burnt out. Good thing that here in Mexico this Monday was a holiday. And spring break is coming soon. Because we all need it. Also, I don't know if you can hear this, but I am having a little bit of a sore throat. And I'm recording this just one day before I will publish, so I couldn't wait any longer. But it's going to be fine. Although, today it's just me talking, because originally you were going to get a different episode this week. I had a very nice interview planned to go down last Friday, but yours truly messed things up. Yes. You see, my guest lives in a different time zone, And I got the time zones wrong. Go figure. The math teacher was not able to figure out time zones. (sighs) I was planning with a one-hour difference when there were two hours, in fact. And we just missed each other. The whole thing had to be rescheduled. And hopefully I can bring you that interview next week. Because in the US, they just changed to daylight savings time. Which, again changes the time zones. I guess good communication is the key after all. And hopefully, I can get ahead of the curve a little bit during spring break. You see, I have not been planning ahead too much. As I was joking last week, my plan always goes as far as this current episode. Also with the idea that I can catch current topics, of course. But I guess also my ADHD is playing in here. So it would be nice to use the free time in spring break and pre-record some episodes and have them stacking up. We will see. By the way, what did you think about last week's episode, the one-year anniversary? I really liked this game show. It was a lot of fun, and I'm planning on bringing more people on the show like this also to play games like Find the Fake. How would you like that? So let's get started with the show. For this week we're going to take a look at the whole issue of vaccination and what that means for our current COVID situation. So let's dive right into it. I chose to talk about vaccines this week because they are in the news all the time. The COVID vaccine is what we have all been waiting for. And enormous resources have been spent on the development of multiple vaccines. But we are also hitting obstacles. The mass production is a huge challenge, as well as the distribution of the vaccines and keeping them at the right temperature. Additional to that, there's a fraction of the population that is afraid of vaccines and misinformed, and some are relentlessly refusing to take any vaccines. In this episode, I want to shed some light on why I think that is, 
So let us start with what a vaccine actually does. Vaccines work for viruses. So first we have to understand what a virus is, as briefly as possible, of course. A virus is some genetic information, that's DNA or RNA, and it is protected by a protein coat. A virus is not classified as a living thing because it cannot reproduce by itself. It needs a host. The protein coat determines the kind of host cells that the virus needs to infect. I imagine it kind of like puzzle pieces. The protein coat of a virus will only fit to some cells, and to others it won't. That's why there are viruses that can only infect one species of animals, while other species are completely safe. So the virus infects the host cell, and inserts its genetic information. When the host cell divides itself, it will not only make a copy of itself, but also copy the virus. It will copy its virus-infected version. And that's how the virus manages to multiply. Depending on the genetic information of the virus, it will eventually cause a series of symptoms in its host. Take the symptoms of sneezing, coughing, and sweating, for example. All of these symptoms will help the virus to get to more hosts. Killing the hosts, on the other hand, might also be a consequence of the virus infection, but it would not benefit the virus, because a dead host will not help the virus spread any longer. Anyway, keep in mind that a virus is not living, it's not conscious, although this description would make it sound like that, right? The virus wants to spread. Alright, we humans have our immune system. That's our line of defense against such things as a virus infection. Our immune system can produce antibodies. Those would be proteins that can attach to the protein coat of the virus and by doing this block those quote-unquote puzzle pieces. And the virus will no longer be able to attach to the host cells. But our body can only produce these antibodies if it already has a memory of the target virus. It needs the instruction how to build the antibodies. A blueprint, if you want. Otherwise, as it was the case with this new coronavirus, there is no line of defense when the virus infects your body. And a vaccine can help our bodies obtain that memory. Here is how that usually works. A vaccine contains a small amount of a weakened form of the virus that it is going to immunize you against. When that is injected, your body will produce antibodies against that virus as an immune response. Of course, as a reaction to the vaccine, you may still develop symptoms of the disease. But those symptoms are going to be weaker and will be gone much faster. All of this with the goal that if you catch the virus for real and you're already vaccinated, your body can fight the virus immediately and will not become a severe case of an infection. Some people, because of other conditions, should not get a vaccine. But they would still be protected if enough people of the population are vaccinated. This is called herd immunity. And for COVID, it is estimated that herd immunity would be achieved if at least 70% of the population are vaccinated, are immune. But of course, a higher percentage would even be better. In the case of herd immunity, the few unprotected people are spread out so widely that the virus can no longer efficiently infect people. 
of course, there still might be some isolated cases locally. All right, so this sounds like a no-brainer, right? If we get vaccinated, that means that we are protecting ourselves against the disease because we can no longer become a severe case. And we also protect our family and friends. And we protect the vulnerable part of the population. It should really be no question at all whether or not to get vaccinated. How come that some people are still refusing vaccines? Well, there are several arguments, but let's uh, us tackle the big one first. Most anti-vaccination movements claim that vaccines can cause other diseases such as autism. And this claim foots on one article that was published in the journal The Lancet in 1998 by Andrew Wakefield. I am sure that I mentioned this on another COVID-related episode earlier on this podcast, but we're at episode 60, and after so many episodes, I no longer remember all of the specifics. So here it goes again. Wakefield was the lead author of this article that claims to have found a direct link between the MMR vaccine and autism. It claims a link of causation. However, these findings were never able to be reproduced. And that's the beauty of the scientific process. If there really is something, other independent researchers should get to the same conclusion, but in this case, nobody was able to reproduce the results. Of course not, because as it turned out, Wakefield was a fraud. The results in his clinical trial were made up. The whole research was funded by a group of people who planned on suing the MMR vaccine manufacturer. So they hired Wakefield to produce results that would make them win their lawsuit. This is, of course, not at all how science works. And in fact, this is criminal behavior. In science, we try to prove a hypothesis wrong, not work towards a hypothesis. We're trying to challenge our hypothesis. So the Lancet retracted the article, and Wakefield has lost all of his credibility, and his PhD was taken away from him. So you'd think that this would have fixed the problem. But the damage was done. And too many people had already believed his story, and had formed anti-vaccination movements. And now, they simply won't believe the evidence for the whole fraud, because they think it's a conspiracy. This is a great example of the damage that a lie can do, even if the truth comes out later. Because now, 23 years after the original study, and 11 years after The Lancet retracted this article, we are still suffering the aftermath. We are still fighting anti-vaccination mindsets. But why? Well, it seems that if you just repeat a lie often enough, people will believe that there must be something to it, because they just see it everywhere. Sounds familiar? Somehow, that makes me think of a very famous Twitter account that just got suspended after the storming of the US Capitol. You know who I'm talking about. Anyway, this is why education and critical thinking and reasoning is so important. It all matters. The rejection of vaccines is a good example of the harm that can be done by misinformation. So to round up this argument, no, there is no evidence at all that vaccines can cause autism. 
This has been studied over and over and over. There's no causal relationship. Let's look at some other arguments that people bring up against vaccines. Often they say that they are afraid of what the vaccine contains. And they are especially worried about mercury in the vaccines. And again, there's no reason to be concerned. Nobody puts toxic material into vaccines with the idea of making people sick. But it's funny how many people say that they are worried about what could get into their body when they get vaccinated. Yet they don't have a problem with smoking a pack of cigarettes per day or eating lots of junk food. Funny, no? Another argument is that weird conspiracy idea that Bill Gates uses the vaccines to implant microchips into all of us so he'd be able to track all our movements and own all of our data. And that's ridiculous. Of course, such a microchip would be noticed if it's in the vaccine. And it would be too big to simply get into our bloodstream. But guess what? Those same people have already given away the permission to keep track of everything they do through their cell phones. They have probably given permission to use the camera, the microphone, and location services to so many apps that everything they do is being tracked. No need to inject a microchip into your bloodstream. So again, nothing to worry about. Just like the junk food and the cigarettes, they are already doing the exact thing that they are afraid of on a voluntary basis. One more argument we can often hear is that people are afraid that the RNA or DNA in a vaccine can alter their own DNA and give them mutations. And again, this is not possible. Think about it. When you eat organic food, you're also taking DNA in, and nobody has ever received any mutations from eating a tree of broccoli or from some eggs with ham. Which brings me to the last argument that nobody is uttering. Maybe those people are just afraid of that little sting when the needle penetrates their skin. And again, it's ironic to see that some of those same people have tattoos, which is like getting a million injections over several hours. It always comes back to the same conclusion. The arguments don't hold up to logic and reasoning. Vaccines are safe, and it should be a no-brainer to take them. Which brings me to the last bit about the COVID vaccine. As you all know, there are currently several vaccines on the market, and all of them have their own efficiency. Most of them are reported to be around 90% efficient, but one of them has an efficiency of around 80%. And we can see, for example, in Germany, that people refuse to take the vaccine with an 80% efficiency. They rather want to wait for their turn for one of the quote-unquote better vaccines. And this is also ridiculous. An 80% efficiency is still great. If anyone would offer me that I could get a shot of that 80% efficient vaccine, I would get it for myself and for my whole family. Every vaccinated person helps protect the entire population. Just to say that we're going to reject that one that we are waiting for the deluxe vaccine is very selfish. Just put it into perspective. The odds are like picking a number from 1 to 10. Go ahead, pick one. And now I'm telling you that you win the game if you have picked any of the numbers from 2 to 9. 
and just in case you picked one in ten, you lost. Those are pretty good odds. And just to be clear, an 80% efficiency does not mean that 20% of the people who get the vaccine die. No. It increases your chances of not getting sick by 80%, which means you still have a shot, if you pick the 1 in 10, literally speaking, to still win the game. It increases your chances of not getting sick. So even a 50% efficiency, I would go for the vaccine. It's a no-brainer. Let's hope that uh, people are going to be reasonable and that the trouble in distribution will get solved so we can vaccinate more and more people all over the world as fast as possible. It's in everyone's interest that we can one day go back to normal. Reaching herd immunity by vaccination is really the only chance to ever get there. Let us now play another game of Find the Fake. Here are three news items, and two of them are true, and one is fake. Can you figure out which one is the lie? Item number one. Most of Mars missing water could be in its crust, according to a new computer simulation. Item number two. Air pollution results in more chronic diseases in children, according to a new study. And item number three. Plants discovered buried deep beneath the ground indicate that Greenland was once ice-free. So you can still play along. You may pause. We're now going to reveal this. What about Mars's water? Could it be in its crust? This one is true. So this is an article I found on Science News uh, with yesterday's date, as I'm recording this, March 16th. Most of Mars's missing water may lurk in its crust. That may explain why so little H2O is seen escaping into space to dry out the red planet. Written by Maria Temi. And yeah, so we all know that Mars is like a desert planet. It's very dry. But we know there's some water on the polar ice caps. And um, we're still looking for water there um, or why it has all escaped. And it looks like it could all be in its crust. So there you go. Item number two. What about this one? Air pollution results in more chronic diseases in children, according to a new study. This one is the fake. Did you believe it? Did you pick it out? This is uh, from Science Daily, an article from February 22nd. Uh, the source is Stanford University. And the real headline is, Air pollution puts children at higher risk of disease in adulthood. Summary, a new study reveals evidence that early exposure to dirty air alters genes in a way that could lead to adult heart disease, among other ailments. The findings could change the way medical experts and parents think about the air children breathe and inform clinical interventions. So, of course, the bottom line, air pollution is bad and we need to do something about it. So, this has long-term effects. It can alter genetic information in a way that children, later when they are adults, can actually get diseases like heart disease. This is a bummer. Which, of course, all means item number three is true. Plants discovered buried deep beneath the ground indicate that Greenland was once ice-free. 
This is an article on Science Focus written by Jason Goodyear, published also on March 16th. Long lost ice core provides direct evidence of a massive ice melt during a period of warmer weather less than 1 million years ago. And uh, this is important to study because, of course, we have huge uh, ice reservations uh, stored in Greenland and we're afraid because it's all melting. And um, it's still a long way to go before something like Greenland could be ice free. But you never know. So there you go. Did you get it right? This time I forgot to put the game up on Instagram, so I'm sorry for that. But you could still play along right here in the show, of course. And um, hey, let me know. What do you think of this game? How are you doing with it? And what do you think about um, people participating in the game live on the show, like we did for the very first time last week? Alright, to close the show, I'm bringing back a segment that we haven't had in a while. Here are five fascinating factoids about the upcoming spring equinox or vernal equinox. So here it goes, number one. It is the first one of two equinoxes in the year. On that day, everywhere on the globe, we have exactly 12 hours of time between sunrise and sunset. But actually, we have a little bit more than 12 hours of light everywhere because of the way that sunrise and sunset are defined. Number two, its date can vary. This is because a year is not exactly 365 days long, and we have leap years every four years. So the equinox can occur on March 19th, 20th, or 21st. This year, it occurs on March 20th, and it has on most occasions so far in the 21st century. Only in the years 2003 and 2007, we had a March 21 equinox. And March 19th is even rarer, but we are going to have these later in the century. Number three, some people claim that only on an equinox can you balance an egg on its end. This is not true. It works on any day of the year. And you don't even have to be standing at the equator either, as some claims go. It's a difficult exercise. It's a very delicate balancing exercise, but it works anywhere on the planet, any time of the year. Number four, there are many celebrations of this day all around the world in many cultures. Easter is just one of them, although its celebration is not on the day of the equinox, but it is determined by it. And uh, number five, on the days of equinox, the sun rises exactly in the east and sets exactly in the west. On the other days of the year, those locations vary. You can see time-lapse photos of the locations where the sun sets and rises along a year. But the equinox days are when it's exactly in the east and in the west. Dear Rabbits, this is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening. If you like the show and you want to support me, there are easy and painless ways, which are all for free. Rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Share it with your friends on social media. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find all the links in the show notes. 
Every little bit helps. If you want to be on the show, or you know somebody that you'd like to be a guest, please drop me a note on social media. Stay safe and stay curious. Until next Thursday, I am Marco, and this has been Where Did the Rabbit Go? Where Did the Rabbit Go?